0: The Oncogene Brief with Peter Hofland and Sonia Portillo. For this edition of The Oncogene Brief, we sat down
1: with Dr. Antoine Ver, Executive Vice-President and Global Head Oncology Research and Development at Daiichi Sankyo. Dr. Antoine Ver joined Daiichi Sankyo in April 2016 from AstraZeneca, where he served as Senior Vice-President and Head of Oncology, Global Medicines Development and Global Medicine Development China Lead across all therapeutic areas. Prior to joining AstraZeneca in 2009, he held several international oncology drug development positions at companies including Merck, Shirk, Plough, Johnson & Johnson and Aventis. Thank you for joining us. I'm Peter Hofland, here with Sonia Portillo, and this is The Oncogene in Brief.
2: During our interview, we discussed some of the exciting research presented at this year's annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, or ASCO, which took place June 2nd through 5th in Chicago, Illinois. This included the latest information about the company's investigational drug, DS8201, an antibody drug conjugate, or ADC, which is the lead product in the ADC franchise of Daiichi Sankyo Cancer Enterprise.
1: Antibody drug conjugates, or ADCs, are a type of targeted cancer medicine that delivers cytotoxic chemotherapies, or payloads, directly to cancer cells via a linker attached to a monoclonal antibody that binds to a specific target expressed on a cancer cell. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, granted a fast-track designation to DS8201 for the treatment of HER2-positive, unresectable, and or metastatic breast cancers in patients who have progressed after prior treatment with HER2-targeted therapies, including ado-trastuzumab emtansine or TDM1, an antibody drug conjugate marketed as Kadcyla by Genentech and Roche. The investigational agent DS8201 is currently being evaluated in an open label two part phase one dosing study in patients with advanced unreceptable or metastatic solid tumors that are refractory or intolerant to standard treatment or for whom no standard treatment is available. DS8201 is currently in phase one clinical development for HER2 positive advanced to metastatic breast cancer and gastric cancers. HER2-Low expressing breast cancer and other HER2-expressing solid tumours. The primary objective of the dose escalation phase of the study was to assess the safety and tolerability of the drug and determine the maximum tolerated dose, or MTD. To date, a total of 134 patients have been treated in both the dose escalation part of the study which included 24 patients, and the dose expansion part of the study, which included 110 patients. We'll be back after a short break.
2: Research has shown that patients living with invasive breast cancer with high levels of HER3 may face a significantly worse prognosis and decreased survival. This represents a large unmet medical need. Research has shown that overexpression of epidermal growth factor receptors, also known as EGFR, such as HER2 and HER3, can play a role in cancer cell development, including breast cancer. Statistics show that 1 in 5 breast cancers overexpress HER2, which is associated with a more aggressive disease, and about 50-70% to 70% of breast cancer tumors have detectable levels of HER3. Depending on several factors, including the biomarker classification, breast cancer is typically treated with various combinations of surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, hormone therapy, or targeted therapy. But many HER2 positive tumors progress to the point where no currently approved HER2 targeting treatments can continue to control the disease. Furthermore, there is no HER2 targeting therapies approved for HER2 weak positive tumors and no approved HER3-targeting therapy options. Historically, HER3 has represented a challenge for drug development due to this receptor's lack of tyrosine kinase activity. However, recent reports of HER3-targeted drugs have shown promising results in a number of preclinical settings.
1: A better understanding of HER3 regulation have improved the potential strategies to therapeutically target HER3 for cancer treatment. During the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, Daiichi Sankyo announced that their antibody drug conjugate, DS-8201, demonstrated a favorable safety profile and promising anti-tumor activity. These data were highlighted as part of the ASCO Clinical Science Symposium. Preliminary results from the dose expansion part of the phase 1 study of the DS8201 in a subgroup analysis of HER2-expressing metastatic breast cancer patients pretreated with TDM1 and pertuzumab demonstrated a 46.7 overall response rate and a 100% disease control rate to date. An overall response rate of 45.7% and disease control rate of 100% of the patients was observed in patients pre-treated with only TDM1. Using Daiichi Sankyo's proprietary ADC technology, DS8201 is a so-called smart chemotherapy, which includes a humanized HER2 antibody attached to a novel topoisomerase-1 inhibitor payload, linked via tetrapeptide linker designed to deliver enhanced cancer cell destruction upon release inside the cell, while reducing systemic exposure to the cytotoxic payload or chemotherapy. In other words, the drug is designed to specifically kill cancer cells while sparing healthy cells. The antibody drug conjugate showed significant tumor shrinkage and sustained tumor control. These results were impressive and confirmed the initial anti-tumor activity shown in the dose escalation part of the study with DS8201. And based on the available data, The investigational drug may be a promising potential treatment for patients with HER2 expressing metastatic breast cancer whose tumors are no longer controlled with available treatment options like TDM1 and pertuzumab.
2: In the trial, 39 of 50 patients with HER3 expressing metastatic breast cancer are continuing to receive treatment. To date, median progression-free survival has reached 45.4 weeks. 11 patients have discontinued treatment due to their adverse events, progressive disease, and other reasons. These results demonstrate that the smart delivery of chemotherapy by DS8201 to cancer cells may be effective and safe in treating tumors that express HER2. Based on these results, researchers at Daiichi Sankyo are accelerating the development of the investigational drug and the company's ADC technology. The goal the company pursues is to bring unique precision medicines to patients who have exhausted current treatment options. After the break, we're back with Dr. Iver.
1: Dr. Iver, welcome to the on Brief here at the 53rd Annual Meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, the ASCO meeting. So looking at some of the novel treatment options that are uh, presented here at uh, ASCO, um, what are some of the interesting studies uh, being presented That something that you noticed as exciting, as novel, as,
3: um, well, uh, intriguing? Oh, thank you for the welcome and thank you for the question. there of, obviously, there's a lot of things presented. So my interest you know, in what caught my attention is data which are still yet to be presented, so I don't know the result, but I'm intrigued and I know the trial design of the Olympiad trial, the uh, the, 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 the Leparib-BRCA breast cancer, advanced breast cancer trial, which is presented at a plenary. I found this extremely interested, not so much because I contributed to this design in a prior job, but more because it is... After a year or two breakthrough, you know, 20 years ago, it's actually uh, the first time that the molecular signature is seems to have an effect in breast cancer, which has been so far a, a tumor type which was dramatically resistant to any molecular uh, specific targeting. And I find it interesting because you know, it, it reopens really opens up, you know, breast cancer has, been resi- uh, has n- not allowed itself to be segmented. And, uh, and also, uh, so far, not really been very successful when uh, even checkpoints have been tested. So, I found it important that we continue to work in that domain and deliver some molecularly targeted therapy. That also fits my own interest uh, at, you know, because we have, having ADCs which are targeting in the context of the uh, molecular targeting of breast cancer, ER2 and er <laughs> Actually, fitting relatively nicely with this renewed uh, advances in precision medicine in breast cancer. The other thing I found interesting is actually not a new treatment, but it's also another plenary session, which I'm really looking forward to see on the on the role of patient-reported signs and symptoms through web-based. Uh, And that's probably the If and Bash in our Memorial Catering plenary session tomorrow as well, which I found fascinating to have such an impact on the inference of treatment. And it speaks about what we do, and especially in ADC, which are long-term treatment, we have cumulative and low-grade toxicity to actually be able to adjust the treatment in between patients' visit to the treating physician or treating hospital and be able to better conduct treatment on a longer-term basis. And I think this is really fascinating to s- for me to see that. You know, I've worked with Ethan Basch in a prior life and I, I know how critical it is and how important it is. So these are, for me, the two highlights from the ASCO meeting. Obviously, there are many, many others, but I'm, yeah, these are the two things I'm really interested in. Well, definitely very exciting and one of the, Things that I noticed is going
1: to or checking the program uh, earlier uh, in the week is that there is enormous amount of attention which you mentioned referred to antibody drug conjugates ADCs, um, and uh, the interesting thing is that um, uh, it seems to me that at this meeting there are more ADCs being presented than any of other ASCO meeting before. Now, in, in your opinion, how I- are ADCs uh, antibody drug conjugates? How are they changing the field
3: of, of the treatment of cancer? Um, so I've got two answers to your question. I think uh, the first one is that ADCs have been around for a long time. So the fact that there are many means that we, there is a continued interest in ADCs. Very f- Only few of these drug candidates actually made it to the market are real treatment options. Um, And why is that? It's probably because this is a very complex technology which involves a lot of different components. And as is usual in pharma at large, or actually in research at large, You know, we tend to run too fast once we believe we have some improvement over the existing options of research and probably did not necessarily completely address the needs. And that's why you have many, many attempts and not so many successes. But it still remains an extremely important treatment option because the good ADC is a, a good cancer treatment is actually a cancer treatment which kills cancer cells. A dead cancer cell is a good cell. That's what we want. And uh, But the ADC theoretically has the ability to selectively kill cancer cells via smart chemo. The challenge is that they are not so such because they, there's leakages, because there's off-target uh, toxicity, and thus, you know, the therapeutic window and the specific smart chemotherapy killing, if you will, is not necessarily so well achieved. Uh, that being said, you know, there's a lot of attempts and a lot of work being done and uh, a lot of improvement in the ADC. And I, I believe that smart chemotherapy, the smart killing of cancer cells is probably the next big thing after IO. Uh, <clears throat> and you can achieve that through ADC, through delivering of payload, which kills the cancer cell very, very selectively, or and through the... Uh, the, the, the um, so fantastic lethality, you know, the, when you deliver a drug which kills only cancer cells because they have that Achilles heel, you know, like you know a BRCA gene deficiency or, or or DNA damage repair deficiency, and you just kill the cancer cell which have that, and these two methods, you know, are actually delivering s- smart kill. And when you combine that with, chemo- fer- with uh, immunotherapy, that is the future of cancer treatment. And this is why I believe DNA damage repair agent, as well as ADCs through the smart cell killing, are actually going to be the next big thing because the technology has advanced now, and then we have, you have all of these candidates. So when you um, look at the, the, the different agents that you are
1: involved with, with Daiichi uh, Sankyo, for example, um, there are basically two uh, drugs in, in your pipeline that are uh, we, we're talking about as DS eighty two hundred one and UR U uh, three fourteen hundred two. Uh, they have different uh, targets, different approaches.
3: Um, but obviously, um, I mean, t- tell me a little bit about that. Sure. You know, just to correct you, I think we're looking at many, many more agents. You know, we have a very healthy AML franchise in leukemia, where we have six agents. You know, one in phase three, five agents in 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 clinical stage with different mechanisms of action, you know, on DNA or on the, on especially also on the uh, on the uh, um, epigenetic, but we're talking about, you know, the ADC and of the ADC, we have many more than two, but there are really two which are in the clinical stage validating the technology. So, I think maybe before I talk, talking about the product themselves, I'd, I'd like to explain um, actually, why I joined Daiichi Sankyo a year ago, you know, coming from a powerhouse at AstraZeneca, you know, um, and leading the development at AZ, you know, and why did I come? If I came because of science at Daiichi Sanq actually landed itself into major advancements in ADC technology. And uh, so let me explain to you, I mean, you know, we all know that ADC is complex, and you know, on and carries, you have the target, and you also then need to attach to your target, the payloads, and you have to, you need to have the right payload. What the researchers, I think, have done is actually improve seven critical aspects of that construction. And that's a technology which is beyond a single monoclonal antibody. Actually, the first drug we have is a monoclonal, which is very common. It's an R2-targeting monoclonal, which we know targets um, the R2. So we have no doubt about the target itself. But what they've done is to, the first thing we have done is to <clears throat> use a, a new mechanism of action for killing cancer cells, which is a topoisomerase one, uh, which is a one that, uh, which is a mechanism that the cancer cell in breast cancer or in gastric cancer, which are the lead indication we pursue, the, the, the tumor has not seen that mechanism of action. There's no cross mechanism, cross resistance mechanism. And that is in it by itself an important and interesting thing. That's only one of the improvement. The, the second is, is that, you know, they made it extremely potent, you know, so the typical, you know, irinotekin is, is a lead triple one one and has been around for quite a while. Actually, it came from a uh, daichi san legacy company. Uh, so this is why there's knowledge, but the SN38 is the active metabolite of that drug. The, the payload that we use in these construct, you know, not only 8201 and 1402, but in other constructs, the payload is a, deri- it's a derivative of the SN38 and, and a further improvement, and it's ten, 10 times more potent than SN38. So it's an extremely powerful cell killing agent. But then, you know, the, the next thing that the researchers were trying to address is to say, okay, you deliver your payload into a cancer cell through internalization and the release of a cleavage. But, you also want to le- kill neighboring cells. So, they design, they further improved the payload to be extremely soluble to allow for the cell to be transmitted, to, to essentially cross the membranes of neighboring cells and deliver some bystander effect. So, even if you say attach to an earthy cell and and, and deliver the payload, kill that cell, you can still release the payload and have a neighboring cell which is not expressing your target. So it's a O2 negative, which is very common in breast cancer and, and, and gastric cancer and other tumor types. Not all cells express a target, but you can still sc- kill the cell by bystander effect. We've seen that in preclinical models and obviously the clinical data validate this to certain extent, although this is still investigational, and we're presenting data to that. But that's not the only thing they've done. You know, They also realize that when you do this, you don't want to have the payload to be killing distant cells, normal cells. So once it leaks in a systemic circulation, they realize that you need to have a drug which is a very short half-life. So they further improve the payload to not be the typical... CAMTO or you know, topoizomer as one, you know, 12 hours kind of half flight, but actually it's a very short two hours-ish half flight to reduce, you know, if very systemic leakage, then the systemic exposure is extremely short. And that's all about the payload, but that's only part of the improvements made. And the second set of improvements were made on the linker itself. And then the linker is, you know, is a tetrapeptide linker. Uh, and uh, and it's it has two main characteristics: one is that it is extremely stable and we've proven that preclinically and clinically at day twenty one when we treat again ninety nine plus percent of the ADC is still an ADC. It's not the naked antibody, and then having leaked the, the payload. It's, that's unlike a lot of ADCs marketed or uh, in development. So it's an extremely stable, and then it is a cleavage is done by captive signs B and L, if I remember well, or B and E, uh, which are overexpressed in cancer cells. So even if you internalize, I mean, the idea is to try to have an added selectivity of the release of the payload in cancer cell. And then the last thing they did is, through, and that's mostly through protein engineering, is to actually increase the number of payload that you attach to the monoclonal antibody. I mean, the typical ADCs, you know, uh, are 3.5 to 4 drug antibody ratio, which is how much payload you have per monoclonal. We right. are at eight, which just by simple virtue we're doubling the amount of payload you deliver inside the cell if you attach. So all of these things are, you know, were by design and actually took almost six years to be designed. And the anticipation was that that would improve substantially, you know, the not only the safety profile, but also the ability to target high and medium and low expressing targets, cancer cells. So it's a long introduction on the technology, but back to your question. I mean, we have now clinical data, which we published, on, which validate this concept in the ER2 space. And I'm happy to discuss that. And also now we have entered the clinic with an ER3 antibody, which is, we are first in class, you know, nobody has an erf What is ERF-E? ERF-E is part of the EGFR ERF family. It's expressed, you know, in a number of cancers. You know, it's expressed in clearly expressed in the breast cancer arena, also expressed in lung cancer, mostly EGFR lung. And, and it's highly internalized. And we are in a clinic, so I'm, I'm not gonna reveal anything uh, from a dose escalation, because we've not published any data, but you know I'm comfortable that we're progressing the program and the technology nicely. So it's a long answer. I hope I answered your question, but it's
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you did. As I got, and now we we look a little bit more specific at the uh, at. The, at, at ADC. Some of the uh, ADCs, it's like that you mentioned about uh, the, the the first one, that is an uh, HER2 targeting ADC. And um, interesting thing is you mentioned that the the second one is an HER3 uh, targeting thing. And one of the the interesting data about that is that that patients with a uh, high level of H, uh, HER3 generally have a significant worse prognosis of, of, of the duration of the survival so it's an interesting kind of a major unmet need I think for some people or a, a, a patient group so uh, th- th- share a little bit more information
3: about the two those two different uh, agents. Sure. sure so let me tackle the earth free you know first I, I think that earth free I mean we have probably the best I mean, we know if the biology of the monoclonal is correct. We know the pharmacology. We actually tested the the, the 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 monoclonal, the naked antibody, as trying to target the biology. It turns out that the biology is not so important in the clinic. So the naked antibody itself is not so uh, effective. But we know that the pharmacology of the anti- antibody is correct. Um, and you're right that you know that these markers do express or do correlate with some feature of the tumors which makes them more aggressive, more advanced, more insensitive, and so on and so forth. I think that's not necessarily what we're targeting. We're targeting an agent that is expressed in a clearly unmet medical need, which could be at different stages of the disease. For the er you know, we know that, you know, in, it is in breast cancer, it is expressed in breast cancer, a little bit in the ER2 space, so it's co-expressed with ER2. It's also expressed in the ER space, so the the ER expressing, you know, which are far more complex disease and so on. In lung cancer, we know that it is highly expressed in uh, in the EGFR-M mutant after they fail, especially after they, f- they are treated with TKIs and fail the TKIs. And this is also a space where IO doesn't work, so it's not indicated, you know, I mean, or it is indicated after failing TKI, just because that's a last-result options. whereas, you know, you have this earth expression which makes them clear unmet medical need and potential candidate, and this is, this, this is a segment that we definitely are looking to investigate. Back to ER2, I mean, the ER2 is a well-defined disease, you know, and, and the unmet need in that space is after you fail the ER2 targeting therapy. I.O. doesn't work in R2, so clearly the unmet need is in the, you fail the er 2 and especially you fail a septin, you fail pertuzumab, you fail have the ADC, the R2 ADC marketed. And this is a space where we clearly also began to have that. And then the, the other R2 obvious tumors are below expressing er 2 because we believe we can deliver more payload, more stable, and so on, we actually went after and delivered clinical data, which are as compelling in the phase one setting as they are in the higher two. in lower to expressing breast cancer, in gastric cancer after septin and chemo, as well as in other to expressing tumors, you know, correct old lung and then some other than others. So, and all of these patients and all of these tumor types and uh, tumor-expressing R2 are actually un- clearly unmet needs. So, you, you mentioned a
1: number of cancers where you actually be able to target. Some of the uh, N- uh, more difficult ca- uh, breast cancer types, for example, are uh, for triple, tri- triple negative breast cancer. Um, some of the, the research from a number of different ADCs show results. Some others don't result, show any results. What about the, y-
3: your approach? So our approach is, you know, our, our initial approach is for cancer expressing the protein. As measured by the typical, you know, well-established, you know, ASHP and the so the IHC and the ASCO guidelines for you know defining an earth to expressing tumors high and then low. Um, you're right that you know there. I mean, theoretically, you can express the protein very transiently, so you can, can have a high turnover on the protein expression on the surface and internalization which makes the tumor non-expressing but still actually <laughs> non-expressing from an IHC standpoint, but expressing uh, from a capture antibody captures and uh, internalization. This is not our first focus. You know, our first focus is on the high expressing HER2 breast and gastric and other tumor type, or low expressing, you know, uh, breast and. Uh, <laughs> low expressing tumor time. And just because it's the most this is how the drug was designed. Not to say that we will not go beyond that, but my my drive for the company is to really focus and accelerate, you know, uh, given the phase one results we have, you know, is to dramatically accelerate these initial indications.
1: So some of the things
3: have been discussed here also at
1: at at ASCO have to do with uh, novel ways of doing or diagnostic procedures. Um, it's very interesting to see how um, with, for example, liquid biopsies, there are some thing, things like that. It goes beyond ADCs, obviously, in this case. Mm. Um, but the interest is in there, uh, maybe some more general things that we've noticed here at, at, at ASCO. Um, what, how does that play a role, for example, with you and in, in the development of, of, of uh, the drugs or the agents that you're mm. working with? Uh,
3: Maybe I realize you know we've we've talked about, around, and before I answer that question, it's probably a good idea to give a sense about the clinical data that we have you know, for HGT1 because that helps inform that question about how do we use the different tools. You know? So. The clinical data we have, you know, we have now, you know, we've been in phase one dose escalation and dose expansion in different tumor types, you know, high birth, you know, the R2 breast cancer after, you know, Catsilla, and obviously uh, uh, acceptin, but also in gastric cancer after acceptin chemo and also in the other tumor type. What we observe, you know, we have now 140-plus subject treated, data on 104 subjects uh, with respect to response. We observe a consistent response rate in these type, you know, uh, which is in the range of 40 to 45 percent, you know, durable responses, you know, and uh, and we observe no MTD, so no maximum tolerated dose, and no DLT, no dose limiting toxicity. So we, we really are able to treat without much toxicity and deliver 50-ish percent response rate, which are durable responses across the board. So so this result validates all the points I was making in terms of how BCDC was constructed. And and, and, and and then back to your question, then how do we use this going forward in some of development? You know, obviously you go beyond the, ov- the most obvious from a U.S. perspective, and medical need is to go after the very well-defined medical need in ER2 space, which is ER2 her eye breast cancer failing, perceptin, failing perjeta, failing TDM1, because they have, they have nothing, you know, they have nothing offered. So that's a clear option, and that does not depend on any, any sophisticated test. You know, it's just the next line of option. It's actually delivering an ER2 targeting, so a molecular a precision medicine for these ER2 patients who didn't have much, you know, in the past few years. The, 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 the next, you know, it, which is a little bit more interested is that the practice of R two actually moved from the IHC expression to the amplification and mutation, some of which can be captured for liquid biopsies or for tests on the tumor heterogeneity for biopsies and so on. So we are definitely looking at this in terms of how do we select the the patient because of our belief that we actually can go lower than the IHT expression in terms of protein expression in breast cancer. So we're definitely looking at this and incorporating these approaches. And I have personal experience, you know, I actually got, you know, CTDNA approved for some drugs I got approved, you know. Three, four years ago, you know, <laughs> US, Europe, and so on. So I have, I have definite knowledge about this, <laughs> and definitely employing this in, in that context. You know, the same thinking goes in gastric cancer, where you have, especially after septin, it's pretty well known now is one of the mechanisms of resistance, primary resistance, so primary refractoriness to accepting uh, or resistance after a is to have heterogeneous expression of R2 or loss of R2 expression. So, we definitely, and you cannot always re-biopsy these patient. So, again, you know, having the ability to use um, um, remote tumor assessment through liquid biopsies, in particular, is an interesting thing. There are also other relatively sophisticated methods that we're considering, mostly in breast cancer, which is with PET, to use PET imaging to have a sense about the real expression independent of IHC, and to, pre- to predict better who will respond well to the existing therapy and who will not because of the lack of intense expression, and thus be able to also carve out, or not carve out, but actually offer an option for patients who are clearly not also candidates candidate in, a, in earlier line of therapy. So we're looking at all these options. So one of the things
1: that also comes to mind if we uh, visit and look around here at ASCO, um, obviously there is uh, uh a lot of attention from uh, people that are in academia, uh, a lot of people that are in academic centers, um, working and trying to be educated. Here in the United States, there is um, still a lack or a, a gap in terms of understanding, or the way, for example, uh, oncologists in in community oncology areas are, t- are treating patients. And, and, and there is a gap between that information uh, that's been shared here at ASCO and, and maybe dripped down the pipeline over time. Um, What are your suggestions to maybe eliminate some of those um, highly complex issues in some way, to make sure that physicians are educated, even if they are in a community center as a a community oncologist?
3: I I probably may have a very unconventional, unconventional answer. But I think that the need for education is because we don't have good enough alignment between the right drugs and the right medical needs and we're dealing with drugs which are actually not so well aligned, and thus, you know, it's unclear who you have to treat or and or how you have to treat and how do you have to manage the treatment. When you have clean drugs, exquisitely targeting well-defined precision medicine agents, actually the education is relatively simple. And we see that, you know, for instance, the third generation EGFR, you know, uh, T790M indication after failing TKI, there's no education to do it, but, but that's a drug which is perfectly aligned with a well-defined need, and the test was not routinely done, but you just have to update the test, and then the practice is very easy to adopt. So I think one of the biggest challenges we have as an industry, not as pharma industry, but as a healthcare industry, is actually to do better, to run less with insufficient science and actually be crisper in our science and how we align that science with patients. My belief in the case of our ADCs is that, and what I want to do is to strictly align this science, which I believe is an incredibly incredibly breakthrough science, because really delivering that kind of difference in terms of ADC technology, I want to align that technology strictly with very, very well-defined patients' needs. And if you do that, then the education is, I mean, there's no need for education, because. The community doctors, just like the academic-centered doctors, they recognize the patient's need. And they don't have to sort out for complex maze, complex maze of, you know, how do I treat, who do I treat, how do I manage the side effect, and so on and so forth. But so it may be unconventional, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it might, might definitely work. It's, it definitely could.
1: Uh, fi- the final question I have for you, it's basically a question that I'm going to basically ask everybody in, 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 during this kind of uh, uh, meeting here at ASCO is when we are looking at, for example, an antibody drug conjugate, but there are also different kind of approaches. Um, a lot of people are always talking about targeted medicine, they talk about the personalized medicine, they talk about precision medicine. Um, and it seemed to me, over the last couple of years, I've been asking this question, that I get uh, different answers, and the longer it takes, I, mean, I actually get a variety of answers, and it does not seem to be focusing on on what this approach really is. Your your approach,
3: how are you thinking about these these approaches? So thinking about the approaches of targeted, personalized and precision, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very simple. I mean, you just have to go by the words. Precision medicine is when you're smart, you only do what you need to do. That's what precision is. When you're precise, you do exactly what you intend to do and nothing else. Personalized is actually the word person. And I always, I mean, I don't think personalized treatment applies for most of cancer treatment because most of what people call personalized cancer treatment are actually talking about cancer. And cancer, I'm sorry, is not a person. <laughs> so we're trying to find a feature of cancer and say, oh, I'm personalizing your treatment because your cancer has this." I'm sorry, if that's not the personalized treatment. It's just this it's a subterfuge. It's not the real thing. and uh, so. Precision medicine is the correct word if you use any characteristic of a person and or be the tumor or and the environment, the interaction between the two, and apply a therapeutic intervention which is precisely defined to address only that need. So I really don't like the personalized medicine, except if you personalize because you take into account the person it, him, himself or herself. And the case I make about, you know, The the, the, the fabulous finding that, you know, uh, that Ethan Bosch and Memorial Sloan Catering folks have about, you know, the use of a person's perception of tolerability in between visits and how it improves survival, that is real personalization of treatment but in most cases, it doesn't apply. So then targeted therapy is targeted therapy. So it, it means that you have a therapy which goes after a, person, a well-defined targets. In most instances, it is because you're targeting a specific biology. I think that it is, I may be too simplistic, but I think we've, we've picked all the low-hanging fruits in terms of targeted therapies. Uh, we may continue to further improve, but I think targeted therapy per se, where you target a specific biology where the cancer depends on that biology, is just done. I mean, the, the Gleevec and the Iressa and then the Taguiso of the world are gone. I mean, they, there's nothing else. Than, you know. And, uh, and uh, so, really, we're left with personalized medicine when it, but it's more of a, of a practice, and then precision medicine, and this is more of a science. Thank you, Dr. there.
2: The interview you've just heard with Dr. Antoine Iver, Executive Vice President and Global Head, Oncology Research and Development, Daiichi Sankyo, was originally recorded and broadcast during the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO, which took place June 2nd through 5th, 2017, in Chicago, Illinois.
1: We know that based on this interview, you may have questions. So please submit your questions to our editorial team via email, Facebook, or Twitter. We'll post as many answers as we can on our website oncozine.com, that is is o-n-c-o-z-i-n-e.com. Thank you all, and thank you for listening, and join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hovland, here with Sonia Portillo, and this is the Oncozine Brief.
0: The cuisine Brief was produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hoffland, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer, and distributed by PRX, Public Radio Exchange, and Inpress Media Group. Support for the cuisine Brief comes from our listeners and commercial underwriters. For more information about underwriting options, contact Sean Mayer at 949 923 1660, or visit our website at oncozine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncozine Brief contains health and medicine-related information and is provided for educational and informational purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it.